Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're able to be here today as we discuss a few topics and questions that have come in from the audience. Uh, if you're watching us on the web uh, Facebook page, actually, we're not doing Stephen's Facebook page today. He's not here today. We didn't, I didn't give that any thought. Got a last-minute notice. But anyway, if you're watching us through the uh, Zoom app, please use the Q&A button and we would like to have you text in your questions, comments as we go through the discussion today and ask questions, whether it's on this topic or things we're talking about today. <laughs> and uh, let me introduce the guys that are here today. Jeff Smeltzer, Exton PA. How you doing, Jeff? Hey, good afternoon, Drew. Good to have you here. Scott Smeltzer down in Gettysburg, PA. Hi, Scott. Hey, Drew. How you doing? Doing fine, thank you. Jonathan Sadler in Gettysburg as well, right, Jonathan? Yeah, that's right. And uh, also, uh, I do have access to uh, Stephen's page, so we are live on Facebook, and I'm oh great. Right. So, oh, that's right. That's right. That's why you're the web engineer. You're getting that's everything right. done, taken care of. That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. So, uh, I think I took care of the Q and A part of when you want to enter your questions and comments. But now let's like stop the sharing here. There we go. And let's get this organized. And let's see. So today we're going to talk about a few things. Let me start with the question that came in. I can get my stuff out of the way. Okay. This came in from Jacob. And the question is, are idolatrous practices observed in our society today? And if so, in what ways? Should a Christian attend the Catholic Mass for the marriage or funeral? Should a Christian light candles in a cathedral, throw coins into a Hindu or Buddhist shrine? or leave offerings for deceased relatives. So, guys, what is going on with that question? A good place for us to start will probably be, is there anywhere in the New Testament where activities associated with idolatry are addressed? Yeah, Paul talks about eating uh, meats offered sacrifice to, uh, temp uh, to, uh, yeah, uh, to gods. So how about somebody just kind of give us a brief background of that text and highlight some of the things there for us in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10. Well, in 1 Corinthians 8 through 10, you have Paul introducing the topic concerning things sacrificed to idols. You know, I think it's important that we kind of understand the relationship of chapters 8 through 10 because there's kind of a popular misconception you guys probably run into that Paul really is saying, uh, there's nothing wrong with what the Corinthians are doing here, except they just have to think about the influence that they might have. Um, but what Paul ends up saying is idolatry is wrong. Um, but the way he gets there in the first uh, piece of this section in chapter eight, he criticizes them for their lack of love, for their um, kind of sitting on the fact that they know that the idol is nothing. They have knowledge. And uh, he talks about you need to have some concern for your, your brother. And then he gives his own example of his willingness to forego his right to do something. Um, and, and that's chapter 9. And then in chapter 10, he comes back to idolatry and he says, you just can't have anything to do with it. You can't be involved in it. But let's take a quick look at chapter 8. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'll just hit the highlights. And then maybe somebody else can pick it up there. So in chapter 8, he starts out, concerning things sacrificed to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. 
If any man thinks he knows anything, he knows not yet as he ought to know. But if any man loves God, the same is known by him. Concerning, therefore, the eating of things sacrificed idols, we know that no idol is anything in the world. And there he's kind of acknowledging the Corinthians saying, you know, we know that these idols aren't anything. He says, yes, we know that. Uh, but then in verse 7, he says, Howbeit there's not in all men that knowledge, some being used until now to the idol, eat as of a thing sacrificed to the idol. Notice he's talking about participating in an idol sacrifice. And that becomes more clear when we get down to verse um, 10, when he says, If a man sees you who have knowledge sitting at meat in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he is weak, be emboldened to eat things sacrificed to idols? So the thing I'd like to stress here is, He's talking about participating in the ritual, participating in the idol feast, going into the idol temple and, and to eating the meal. And some of the Corinthians were apparently wanting to do that and were justifying themselves saying, we know that idols aren't anything. Yeah, because Paul is responding to their letter back in 7-1, now concerning things you wrote, chapter 8. Now concerning, they'd written about this, and it's clear that they're trying to justify it and the and we just read the text, but let's highlight it. What was their excuse to justify it? We know that no idol is anything. Uh, or yeah, here we've got knowledge. We know it's not real, so we can do this. Mm -hmm. And just summing up Paul's response in chapter eight, and well, then we'll then get to up, in a minute. Then he says, um, you know, I'm willing to forego something that I think is is my right. There is this little thing. Let's mention. He says in verse um, 9, take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block. And he either means there the, the, the right to eat meat in general, and then you're using that to justify participation in the idol sacrifice, or he means this supposed liberty, this, this thing you think is your liberty to go into the idol temple. But before he gets around to saying you just can't do that, he, he talks about this attitude of one's rights. And he says in verse 13, if meat causes my brother to stumble, I will eat no flesh forevermore that I cause not my brother to stumble. In other words, I'm willing to give up some right of mine. Yeah. And Paul would be willing to give that up for whose benefit? For the benefit of the brother who would be caused to right. stumble. And so back in verse two, after he's kind of quoting them or referring to their argument, in verse 1. Now, we know that we have knowledge, and then Paul says, knowledge does what? It puffs up. It, it yeah, but love edifies. So it's, it's interesting. It's, real quick, it's interesting, this idea of being puffed up is something we've seen before in First Corinthians, yes. and we'll come back to it in chapter 13 when he says, love is not puffed up. Exactly. Uh Four out of the five times this word is used in the New Testament in the Greek is in 1 Corinthians. They're puffed up chapter 4, puffed up chapter 5, and then it talks about being puffed up here. He says, yeah, love doesn't do that in chapter 13. All right, so you should be thinking about how this is affecting other people, not just what you want to do. And then in chapter 9, he's going to get in some tangential things, but it relates because he's going to illustrate that He's given up some things. Mm -hmm. He didn't give up eating meat. He'd be willing to. But what are some things he gave up just to briefly highlight from chapter 9? Well, he, he right. had the right to be financially supported by the brethren. But at Corinth, he declined to take that, to use that right. 
In 1 Corinthians 9, 12, he says, If others partake of this right over you, do, do not we yet more? Nevertheless, we did not use this right, but we bear all things that we may cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. He also had the right yeah. to take a wife like the other apostles there in verse 5. Yeah, I suppose that's probably related right. to the idea of being supported by the brethren. Yeah. You're supported enough to, to not only yourself, but your household. Well, I, but I think he's also making the point, I had the right to be married. But I gave that up. Yeah. yeah that, that's the point there, I was trying to get to. Yeah, their thing, Paul in chapter 8 is saying, listen, you ought to be willing to give that up for the benefit of other people. And in chapter 9, he's saying, and I'm not saying this from a person who's not been willing to give up things. Right. I, I've been, I, I've foregone <laughs> being married. But I can do more in the gospel unmarried. I forewent, you know, receiving money from you. And then he sums up his motive in verse 23. Somebody read that for us, 923. It says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. Yeah, and so he's got that primary purpose in mind. So then he says in chapter 10, he goes back into Old Testament history and talks about the children of Israel out in the wilderness and that they had been baptized and that in a sense, and they had eaten a particular drink, spiritual drink and a spiritual rock, and yet they're destroyed. And why? Jonathan, you have come. Yeah, it's, it's interesting when you go through these chapters, you said he starts off in chapter eight kind of saying, be careful of idolatry because of what it may do to others. And then he kind of transitions and he says, look at the things that I've given up. Well, chapter 10, he kind of moves into be careful of idolatry because of what it does to you. Right. Or what it do to you. Um, and so the, the perspective switches. And so after he gets them talking about that without jumping too far ahead, he talks about the history of, of the, the Israelites and, and what they did going through the wilderness and the idolatry that they were a part of. And then he mentions that temptation that, that verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. And then in verse 14, he says, um, my, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry, flee this idolatry. And he starts talking about the comparison between Christians and the Israelites, the, the cup that we drink um, in, verse, uh, in verse 16, the cup of blessing that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ. The, ble the bread we break is it not a participa participation in the blood of Christ or the body of Christ. And the last verse in, uh, in that section in verse 22 or verse 21 and 22, you cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Yeah. So at its, at its base form, 21st century idolatry is maybe a little bit different or could be a little bit different than what it was worshiping a statue, worshiping a wooden image or a graven image. But idolatry is separating yourself from the Lord and giving yourself a part of yourself to something else. And so Paul makes a more broad statement in Colossians. In Colossians 5, uh, or Colossians 3, verse 5, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Um, yeah. So that, that yeah. verse could be translated either covetousness is idolatry, or all of those things he listed are idolatry. But idolatry is putting something above the Lord in your life. And it's interesting, in chapter 8, um, he's talking about causing your brother to stumble, but as he comes back to idolatry itself in chapter 10, and as you mentioned, he talks about the Israelites and how they were guilty of idolatry, among other things, and therefore they didn't end up making it to the promised land. He says, wherefore, let him that thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 
Mm-hmm. Here are the Corinthians, they think they stand. I, I've got knowledge. I don't need to worry about me. And Paul said, well, you need to worry about your brother in chapter 8. And then in chapter 10, he says, and you think you stand. Well, let him that thinks he stand take heed lest he fall. And let's uh, just to highlight kind of what's going on here in verses 2, 3, and 4. Why, what's particularly pertinent about bringing up the, the Israelites in the wilderness that were rejected and not allowed into the promised land? Um, they had three experiences. They'd gone through the water with Moses. They'd had this drink and they'd had this food. Yet God was still not pleased with them because they messed around with idolatry and other things. So what, how does that relate to the Corinthians' position? Well, in chapter, in chapter 12, verse 13, Paul is going to talk about how we were all baptized into one body. Um, and in, first Corinthians, in first Corinthians chapter 11 and chapter 10, he's going to talk about the Lord's Supper, the, the, the one cup and the one bread. And so what he's doing is he's showing the Corinthians, okay, so you've been baptized and you eat the Lord's Supper. You think it doesn't matter what you do in regard to the idol temple because you, you've been baptized, you eat the Lord's Supper. Well, guess what? The Israelites were baptized and yeah. they had a spiritual food and a spiritual drink, but it did matter what they did and they didn't make it to their promised land because yeah. they did the wrong thing. So they talking about, thinking, go ahead, Drew. You're talking about Christians in the first century while Paul was alive. Yeah. And I think Jonathan was heading into the direction that it's possible for us today to be yes. involved with idolatry? Yeah. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, so let's let's consider one of the things we talked about here. Suppose you, you're traveling and, uh, you know, tour guide says, oh, and here's a Hindu temple we're going to go to. And there's the Hindu idol and, and uh, or, or some other things. And here's a pool and you can throw in a coin. As per the question, I haven't seen that myself, but let's just take it at face value, and everybody else is throwing the coins into the pool and are doing some other activity that they think will give them some benefit from uh, this deity or God. Well, I, I'm not a, I'm not one of, I don't believe in their religion. I'm just a, I'm just a, on vacation. I'm just a traveler. So I'll go along with it. Sure. I'll throw the money in there and we'll go along with you it. Have knowledge. I, you I know have that knowledge. it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Well, isn't that what Paul is saying? Exactly. Yeah, and that and that's exactly that's exactly the scenario that Paul brings up in chapter ten. I mean, almost word for word in chapter ten of Corinth, First Corinthians, verse uh, eighteen, starting, he says, "Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar." So Israelites, when they participate in the temple worship, they are participants in what's happening there. And so similar to that, what he says in verse 19, what do I imply that the food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I mean, you guys know that you have that knowledge, but I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. And then those last two verses that we already read. So the knowledge that you have that, well, this isn't really anything. This isn't, this isn't affecting me. I know that that's not real. I know there's one true God. Well, Paul says, okay, sure. But you're still involved in idol worship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. so, so be careful. You can't serve both God and demons. You don't want to participate in both of those. So the warning back at the beginning of chapter 10, instead of saying, oh, I got my spiritual basis covered over here. I got baptized, take the Lord's Supper. That's my spiritual identity. Now I can do whatever I want to over here because I'm smart enough. And Paul's saying, no, that's the, the Israelites that came out of Egypt. Yeah, they went through the water and they ate this drink and drink, but it didn't do them any good 
when they started messing around with idolatry. So let's look specifically now in chapter 10 at three different scenarios. There is the scenario of the meat in the uh, idol temple. Mm-hmm. There is a scenario at the meat at a private feast, but it's pointed out that it's from an idol. And there is the scenario of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So let's read a verse pertaining to each. Um, let's take them one at a time. Let's do them one at a time. Yeah. So going back to the idol temple, uh, in chapter 8, verse 10, it said, If a man sees you who has knowledge sitting at meat in an idol's temple, will not his conscience, if he's weak, be emboldened to eat things sacrifice idols? For through your knowledge, he that is weak perishes, the brother for whose sake Christ died, thus sinning against the brethren and wounding their conscience when he's weak, ye sin against Christ. So don't do that. Right. Right. Now, what about if you're at a feast at a private home? So now in chapter 10, verse 23, it's almost like an appendix to this discussion. He's really moving into a a kind of an ancillary thing. Up until this point, he's been talking about participating in the idol sacrifice in the temple. But now he says in verse 25, whatsoever is sold in the, and some translations will say marketplace, this happens to say shambles, whatever sold in the marketplace, eat asking no questions for conscience sake. So the idea is you would have a market where they're selling meat. Maybe it's Wegmans, uh, maybe it's Giant, maybe it's Kroger, you know, wherever it is. Um, but in those days, the meat that's in the market, you don't really know the history of it. It might have been leftover meat from a, an idol sacrifice, but it's now not part of an idol sacrifice. It's leftover if it is from an idol sacrifice. It's now being sold as meat in the marketplace. And you could imagine somebody with a tender conscience, unlike some at Corinth, you can imagine somebody with a tender conscience saying, well, I don't know about that meat. It might have been involved with idolatry. So that's kind of the scenario that now Paul addresses. And he (coughs) just as a a note in exegesis throughout this section, he does not call this meat meat sacrificed to idols. He doesn't use that language of this, which is the language he's been using uh, previously. Uh, but he says, eat it. Don't worry about it. And he says in verse... Ask no questions. Yeah. And he says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Meat is something from God. As Paul says to Timothy, eat it with thanksgiving. Don't worry about what some what significance somebody else attached to it in a, in a different context. All right. And so that's at the marketplace. So we, we, we've seen at the idol temple, no. At the marketplace... And there would have been all the sacrifices that were made at these pagan idol temples. You know, a lot of that meets, instead of wasting it, it's going to go to the market. When you go to the market, do I need to inquire and find out the history of that meat? No, it's just meat. But what if, asking no questions. But what if you get invited to some pagan's home? And- there we go. So the third scenario is a private feast in a home. And let me give you, uh, there's a book about... Uh, Corinth. I really like this book. It's the type of book that I like. It's by Jerome Murphy O'Connor. It's called St. Paul's Corinth, and it is a collection of writing. There it is. It is a collection of writings from Latin Greek authors who visited the city and described what it's like. And there's one section on this topic, and the quotes are not limited to Corinth. I think some of them are maybe from Rome, but this topic would be generally similarly place to place. 
And it would be talking about describing a feast at a home and, you know, um, that the chicken had been offered to the god of Slepion that morning and how tender it was and everything. So, or invitations to a feast where uh, it'd be maybe in honor of this god or something, if I remember correctly. So there were feasts like that. Well, if you're invited to a feast in honor of the god of Slepion, what should you do? Not go. No. But what if you're just invited to the feast? The boss says, hey, you know, we're having a barbecue tonight, and you want to go? In fact, verse 27, if one of them that believes not invites you to a feast, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever you want. And do what in verse 27? Eat whatever is set before you without raising any questions. Really? Same, the same principle. Don't, yeah, don't ask. Yeah, it's just like when we're talking about when you go to the market. Now some other guys bought the meat at the market. He invites Schober to, to eat at his house. Don't worry about where it came from. But I say I'm a new Christian, and I'm like, oh, I need to see <laughs> idols. And I am also work at that same place. Drew's the boss, and he's invited Jonathan and Jeff. And Jonathan and Jeff have been Christians for a long time, and I just became a Christian last week. But I know that idolatry is bad, and I go over there, and I'm thinking, oh, no. What? What about this meat? So I go into the kitchen and I asked the cook, I said, pardon me, where did this meat come from? And he said, oh, we'd, we'd had a you know big offering to a Slepion this morning and it's, it's some of that. And then I come back out and I tell Jeff and Jonathan, I said, hey guys, I just found out this meat was sacrificed to an idol. What does the text say? Do not eat. Thank yeah. If any man says, this has been offered in sacrifice, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience' sake. Conscience, I say, not your own, but the others. For why is my liberty judged by another's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I evil spoken of for that which I give thanks? Wherefore, therefore, whether therefore you eat or drink, whatever you do, do to the glory of God. You see how this is similar to the verse back in 923? I do everything for the gospel's sake. So let me just re recap what you're saying. So you're the, the, the new, weak, old Christian. The others of us were here. We know there's no such thing as idols, and we're not asking. You asked the question and found out, and you then bring the information back to us. And so we, as mature Christians, know, well, we're not going to make things bad for you or difficult for you. So we're just not going to eat. Yeah, which will now be awkward. But the thing is, and, and so Paul says three things. Don't go to the idol temple. You know what that's about. Don't go to the idol temple. Number two, don't worry about it if it came in the marketplace. Did it used to be in an idol's temple? Number three, if you're invited to a private feast, yeah, go, go ahead and go. Don't ask any questions. But if it comes up, yeah, then don't eat. So let's start translating that practically. Um, so if there is a idolatrous, go ahead, John. Well, I was just gonna say, if, if we're doing it, if we're doing it practically, maybe going back to that original question, um, would, would be helpful. So the guy, yeah. he asked, yeah. he asked, um, so, what, what idolatrous practices are there in society today or if any, and he brings up a few. So he says, should a Christian attend Catholic mass for marriage or a funeral? Um, should he light, uh, candles in a cathedral? Should he throw coins into a Hindu or Buddhist shrine or leave offerings for a deceased relatives? So, for instance, uh, a friend of mine uh, is, who grew up Catholic and his mother was Catholic, 
Um, and he had looked at the Bible and, and, and uh, learned Bible truths years ago. Uh, he, he, his mother, though, died Catholic. In honor of his mother, he went, of course, to his mother's funeral. But if they're doing, uh, you know, a, 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 and, I, and I don't remember if there was a mass there or not. I think there was. But some of the people there at the church did it, and the other people didn't take part in that um and so i don't think anybody thought that he or i were taking part of the mass we weren't we were were we there for his mother's funeral yes we were there are two different things um and let and but like if you're at if you're at something and you're supposed to do this for a blessing from this god or that god or do this offering don't don't do things that are associating yourself with idolatry Here's a question, though. Sometimes we might, uh, like the, uh, the over-scrupulous fellow who would be inclined to, at the marketplace, inquire about the history of where that meat came from. If you went to every meat market in Corinth and asked about every piece of meat, would you find out that some of that peat had, meat had idolatrous origins? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> was is now removed from that. And so let's consider this. Um, are there things in our day-to-day lives now that have pagan origins and even pagan idolatrous origins? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, for instance, what is tomorrow? Christmas. Uh, no, it's, it's Wednesday. Wednesday. You know what Wednesday is? It's the day you were born. I was born on a Wednesday. You were. <laughs> You would remember better than I. I would. I don't know. Uh, so it's my birthday, apparently. <laughs> uh, Wednesday is Odin's day. The, the Norse god Odin. What's the next day? This is this, this is why it's wrong to celebrate your birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're just trying to get out of giving me a present. Um, what's the day after Wednesday? Thursday. Which is? Thor's day. Thor's day. The day of Thor, the Norse god Thor. Friday, Frigg's day, which is another pagan god. And I always thought it was fish that. day. No, 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 no. <laughs> that's, that's a different thing entirely. Um, then you've got Saturn day, the day of the sun, the day of the moon, which for a lot of pagans, they associated with the gods, like the Egyptians, sun god was Ra. And then... Uh, uh, what, 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 uh, Jeff, if you remember the day I was born, do you remember the month I was born? August. August. What's the month of August named after? That's the you. <laughs> oh. August is named after Augustus, isn't it? Yes. And his name was not Augustus. His name was Octavius. Uh, he was the Caesar when Jesus was born. In fact, look at, look at uh, Luke 3. Luke 3, yeah, in the days, uh, in the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar, oh yeah, let's go back to Luke 2. Um, It came to pass in the days of, no, that's also Caesar Augustus. Yeah, okay, yeah, there, Caesar Augustus. His name was Octavius. He took the title Augustus, which meant like possessor of superhuman increase or something. 
It's related to the Julius Caesar had been voted God by the Senate after he died. And so, you know, th there's paganism even in that. Julius is named, I mean, July is named after Julius Caesar. My point is this. Hey, before you, make your, before you make your point, yeah. <laughs> I shouldn't do this right now because you're just about to make your point. You weren't born on a Wednesday. I just looked it up. All my life, I've thought you were born on Wednesday. You were born on Thursday. <laughs> All right, so, so the point is, the point is. The point is, just like if you went to all the meat markets and when it's no longer associated with it, and that's not what it's meaning to people, but you find out that piece of meat used to be in an idol temple. Paul says, don't concern yourself with that. And so like if, if somebody says, Hey, can, when can we meet for Bible study? And they say, Hey, I could be free Thursday. And I said, I can't meet with you on the day of Thor. You know, that's, that's not helpful. When I say Thursday and they say Thursday, are any of us talking about honoring the God Thor? No. no. Now, but yes. that's the, the way you phrase that question. Are any of us talking about the God Thor? And the answer is no. But as we, as we talk about various things that have pagan histories or pagan backgrounds, there's a spectrum. In some instances, we're going to say none of us think about some kind of pagan or false God history to it. And at the other end of the spectrum, there are going to be things where we're going to say, everybody does. That's all, that's all it is. And then in, that, in between that are all kinds of things where, yeah, some people do, or yeah, a lot of people do, or yeah, most people do. There's kind of a spectrum there. And so to some extent, this is going to be a, a thing where you're going to have to make some judgment based on the situation in which you are, the context, uh, who, who it is you're around, those kinds of things. But guys, I have to uh, interject here being raised uh, Catholic into my young adulthood, I never considered anything being done in the Catholic Church as idolatry. And so I'm sure there are a lot of Catholics in our audience. Uh, they may be hearing this and they're saying, what are you guys talking about? These things are not idolatrous. And so there could be some confusion there. Well, we hadn't even gotten to Catholicism yet. <laughs> what happened? We hadn't gotten to Catholicism yet, but I guess... Well, yeah, we brought up... The, yeah, yeah Jonathan, Jonathan brought up... Oh, the, oh, that's right. Yes, yes, we did. Catholic uh, Mass. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and if that was a scriptural observance of the Lord's Supper, that's... And I don't know that I would call it classified as idolatry, but it's certainly, I think, mis misunderstanding some things. But let, let's take a look at this. Um, Roman Catholics will say... They'll put maybe a statue of Mary in their yard... They'll pray to, they might pray, they might go before a statue and pray to it. And the official position is, are they worshiping that statue? They will say, no, they are what? Venerating it. Venerating it. Um, and what does that mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if, if in the English word worship didn't exist in Corinth, but if somebody was standing in front of a statue and praying to it, they were treating that, you know, th there, there was an idolatrous connotation there, whether you use the word worship or venerate, they didn't have either of those English words there. Uh, and in, in verse Corinthians 8, don't go to the temple. If it's at a private feast and it's pointed out, don't eat it. If it's in the marketplace, don't worry about where it came from. Uh, do we have, what time is it now? We have uh, 14 minutes left, 13. 
Do we have want to talk about that anymore, or do we want to move on to baptism for the dead? Let's go to baptism for the dead. Let's go to baptism for the dead. So the passage, somebody read it for us, well, let, please. Let, let's, let's, uh, the question was more of a, a general question. It says, uh, please discuss baptism for the dead that's mentioned by Paul. And I think that's where you were going, 1 Corinthians yeah. 15, 29. All right. So yes. the, the, just briefly, what is the, cha- without going all through the chapter, what is chapter 15 about? In resurrection, there were Christians in Corinth who apparently were doubting the resurrection. Paul argues that uh, if you don't believe in resurrection, you, don't, you can't even believe Jesus was raised. And if Jesus was raised, then your whole faith is meaningless. And then he affirms that Jesus was raised and that we are going to be able to look forward to our resurrection. And then he gets down to verse 29, where he says, Else what shall they do that are? Baptized for the dead. All right. So, um, what? And let's just starting in verse twelve. Read a few of these. Well, no. Let's go ahead and start discussing because of time. Let's jump into some interpretations. So, I'm going to throw out a potential interpretation or interpretations that have been proposed by some people, and and uh, you guys analyze it and. Uh, free to explain as we go along point by point, which one you think would be most inclined to think that it would be. Uh, number one, uh, this is a the text used by, of course, the Mormon church to justify their process. They collect genealogical information upon people. And then if your ancestors did not hear about Joseph Smith and you want them to be part of uh, their you know, perceptions of eternal life. You can have somebody baptized for your great grandfather or whatever. And so they have people lined up at the temple who are routinely and repeatedly baptized for dead people. Well, you know, that makes a lot of sense in view of what Paul says in Second Corinthians five ten when he says, we must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he hath done, whether it be good or bad, or according to what his descendants in future generations did on his behalf when they were baptized for him. Huh, so he just said uh, that would it. make a lot of sense. If that's what it said. And yet that's not what it said. That's not what it said. So how about reading it? That's not what it said. We must so what all did it be actually made- say? Here's what it actually says. We must all be made manifest before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it be good or bad. Romans 14, 12. Each one of us will give account of ourselves before God. In Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die and then cometh the judgment, not once to die and then hope that somebody will be baptized for him. Yeah, yeah. All right, so let's move on to another interpretation. This means, this is referring to those people that got baptized because of other people that died. So here you were, you were sitting on the fence, you were going to church, and but you hadn't been baptized. But then old brother Smith, who was such a good Christian, he died. Oh, and he, he's not there to lead singing anymore. He's not there to do the good things he did anymore. You know, somebody ought to do that. And so I'll get baptized for, for because of Brother Smith, and I'll take his place. 
So what, Jonathan? That doesn't seem to make a, a whole lot of sense in the context if Paul is spending his time talking about Jesus and how Jesus is the one who is raised from the dead. Then the, the Corinthians aren't struggling with the idea of of their loyalty to, to Jesus as opposed to someone else. There's a good Christian that died, and so he died. I'm going to fill his spot. The, their uh-huh. issue is they think that Jesus or that there is no resurrection from the dead, and so that would imply that Jesus wouldn't have been raised from the dead. So it seems more that this would be talking about Jesus. Now, how did how did you characterize this mentality again, Scott? This view, say it again. It, it's it's kind of a, a replacement viewpoint that when other Christians died, and as people who believed but had not become Christians yet, uh-huh. other Christians die or get martyred, it motivates them to fill in the ranks. Uh, kind of like, you know, uh, and say, okay, well, now I'll step up and I'll give it a go. Uh, and I've so, never heard of that one, Scott. Is that actual? Is that actual uh, oh, yeah, it's an interpretation out there. I think it's uh, got nothing standing for it. It doesn't fit the context. And how many of us have ever known somebody that became a Christian just because somebody else died to take their place? Well, you know, this is a, this, this is a difficult passage. And part of yes. the problem is, whatever Paul is saying, it's important, as Jonathan has alluded to and what you just said, Scott, it's important that we see it integral to this context. And yet, the various ideas that we come up with as to what we think it might mean, it's sometimes difficult to see how that would be integral to this context. The well, other, let's take a look at one that would, or did you have something else there? Well, the other, the other piece that's difficult is the preposition that is used. Um, in, in Greek, it would be the, tra- the preposition that you would usually think of as meaning on behalf of. The, the interpretation you were just talking about, maybe if it said in place of, to be baptized, not, well, not in that sense. Maybe it'd be better to say, well, the idea seems to be I need to step in and take his place. Yeah. This is not the, tra- this is not the preposition you would normally think that you would use to, to communicate yeah. that idea. Uh, there are some who pair who pair is the who pair is the yeah and it and it usually means on behalf of now I we'll come back to this in a minute today in our English culture the use of prepositions is getting fuzzy people want to base things off of things instead of on things in their language all the time uh, they're confusing off and on that was happening in Greek also so don't want to split hairs too finely but we'll come back to that in a minute. Yeah, because we still got two to touch, and we're about to run out of time. So let's hit these uh, next. The next one, um, which might be it, I'm, I'm not inclined to think this one is it, but it does much better fit the context. It might not as well fit who pair, although I think some uses of who pair might be able to fit. But uh, here's another interpretation. Going back to verse 12, the reason this chapter was written, the Corinthians were not saying Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The Corinthians were saying there's not going to be a resurrection. Mm-hmm. Paul started off the chapter by saying, look, remember the gospel that I taught you, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead. That's what you heard and believed. And mm-hmm. there are witnesses of it. Lots of people saw it. Now, verse 12, if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how are some of you saying that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then the result is what? Christ is not raised. Yeah, and if Christ is not raised, our preaching in vain, 
Verse 15, and were found false witnesses of God, because if we witness to God that he raised him not up, raised him up when he didn't raise him up, if so be that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, again in verse 16, the conclusion would be what? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then verse 16 says what? Christ has not been raised either. Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is? Futile and you're still in your sins. Yes. And so all those that have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So if Christ didn't rise from the dead, what happened? Thutis and Judas of Galilee mentioned in Acts 5. (laughs) People following them. But then what happened to the leader? They, they were they died and their 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 movements came to nothing. Yeah. Well, if Jesus just died and didn't rise from the dead, how is he different from Judas or Judas of Galilee? He's Judas not. or Judas of Galilee? How is he different from the two thieves on the cross on either side of it? He's not. No. Yeah. So he's just one of the dead. If he rose from the dead, Romans four says that declares him to be who? Son of God. The son of God. If he didn't rise from the dead, he's just another corpse. He's just one of the dead. So verse 23 <laughs> jumps back to the positive. But Christ has been raised from the dead. Then 29 re- re- reverts back to the negative. Otherwise, else, what shall they do that are baptized for the dead? dead. Now it's in the plural. It's hooper, and then the dead is in the plural. Jesus is just one person, but if you thought of this in the sense of plural of class, like in Matthew 2, when Herod died, the angel said, they that sought the child's life are dead. Um, If Jesus is dead, then people that have been baptized on behalf and in response to Christ, they've been baptized for who? One of the dead. So that's that's a possible uh, explanation. It various things about it fit the context, even though there's still some difficulties. Quick comments on that, and then we'll look at one other possibility. Well, and, and one difficulty is again that preposition "who pair." It, it's being baptized on behalf of Jesus. Well, you, you might can make that argument, but you mentioned that "who pair" um, can have kind of a wide range of use. And what was happening, as I mentioned a moment ago, is prepositions started to bleed over into one another's territory. Ephesians 1.16, Paul says, I cease not to give thanks for you. The Greek preposition is huper, on behalf of you. We really might expect the preposition pere, which would mean concerning. And and the, the those two prepositions, huper and pere, in the first century were tending to bleed over into one another's territory. So there's that possible, conceivable, but it's probably not the primary preposition we would expect if you were trying to say baptize in response to or in right, school. right. And then there is the plural. What's then the fourth? What's the fourth uh, interpretation? Right. The fourth one has to do with noticing the change in pronoun. Look at verse twenty-nine. Or by look at verse twenty-nine. Else, what shall who do? They do. They do that are baptized for the dead. If the dead are not raised at all, then why are they baptized for them? Why do we also stand in jeopardy every hour? Why does he switch from they to we? Which could potentially point, and we wouldn't know all the circumstances of this, 
but uh, are there some other people that have some interaction with the Corinthians who have been a bad influence on the Corinthians? Judaizers? Uh, well, and some other things too. And in particular here, in verse 33, he's going to say, be not deceived, evil companions corrupt good morals. Uh, this was, by the way, a common Greek expression, but mm -hmm. they've been being influenced by some other people. Yeah. And of course, the, the, some of the false teachers among them are going to be referred to more in 2 Corinthians. There's somebody else that's creating some bad influences, and maybe somebody else is doing this. If that's the case, and somebody might say, well, why doesn't Paul say, explain it here, or say that it's wrong or something else? Let's do notice this. Sometimes in the epistles, there are references to things that the original audience understood that we don't. Uh, I'll give one or two, and then I'll ask you all to give some examples. When Paul writes to the Galatians, you know that because of an infirmity in the flesh, I preached to you the first time. Did the Galatians understand that? Yep, but we don't necessarily. Would, would they have known what the something about the infirmity and why that related to him being there? Mm -hmm. well, yeah, we know, what it, we know what it was. It was a thorn. <laughs> well, it, it may or may not be the same thing <laughs> I, as this thorn. Yeah, but yeah, and we don't know what that was. But they knew, and they're the original recipients of the letter. Uh, in in Philippians, when he says, "And you, true yoke fellow, help these women." Which, who, who, who's the true yoke fellow he's writing to? Um, uh, you said, I'm sorry, my mind wandered. In, in the letters to the Philippians? Yeah, Philippians 4. And you, true yoke fellow, help these women. We don't women, know. Is it Luke? Is it Epaphras? I mean, Epaphroditus? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. We don't know <laughs> who it is. The point is, oh, okay. <laughs> that's why it's a blank, Jeff. We don't know. We're all blank. Yeah, yeah. The point is, when we're reading somebody else's mail, occasionally they will refer to things that the author knows and they know, but we're reading it secondhand. We don't know all the details. So, could it be that there are some people that they, they, they understand Paul is not saying that's us, them, they, and why would they be doing that? Maybe the same people that have influenced them to think there's not a resurrection. Well, then why are they even baptizing for them? Uh, we might not know everything we would like to know about what was going on with them, but that would explain why he reverts to the they here and then comes back to a we in the next verse. Thoughts on that? Well, the bottom line is we're not to be being baptized for anybody that's dead. True. Yeah, yeah Jonathan, you're going to add to that? Oh, no. No, okay. yeah. That, uh, I, I didn't mean to put just the final bookend on that one. There, go <laughs> yeah. Jeff looks like he's sitting on a thought, but... No, you know, no it, it's a difficult passage. None yeah. of those are just thrillingly satisfactory. None of them make me just go, ah, I get it. I see some possibilities in some of them, uh, particularly one of one we talked about in the middle of the discussion there, but, um, and we're at the, we're out of time. So, yeah. you know, I, I don't have any more to yeah, say. I'd be inclined to one of the last two, either that Jesus, if, if there was no resurrection, as he said repeatedly, then Jesus didn't rise. And if he's not risen, then he's the dead. And why be baptized for the dead? Or the fact that it's the they. 
that perhaps someone else is doing some kind of baptizing for the dead, but what's the point if they don't even think there's a resurrection or something like that? So those are two possibilities anyway. All right, guys. Listen, I want to – actually, this, the program is over. We're past our time. I um, want to thank everyone who has been with us on today's uh, webcast. But I do want to mention we're not having a webcast next Tuesday, which is Christmas Day, that everyone celebrates a ho the, that holiday in one way or another. We're not expecting to uh, have a lot of people coming in that day. And we're not going to be doing anything. And the following week is New Year's Day, another holiday. So those two Tuesdays in a row, we will not be broadcasting. So that's a good day. If you do want to later on in the evening and you're tired of all the things you've been doing and you want to listen to a Bible Quest uh, program, there's a lot re of recordings that are on the website, BibleQuest.tv. And you can then, we don't have a category. We need to put a category, the best of, you know, maybe with some extra good ones. We might put a category. We haven't done that yet. Or uh, worse so I just wanted to bring that to your attention. I'm sorry, Scott, what'd you say? Or worst of. Or the worst of. Listen, we've been getting some uh, information, uh, some uh, response on the worst ones, too. Let's do mention this when you said everybody observes Christmas. No, I didn't say that. If I said that, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Yeah. Uh, and, and some people choose not to for some of the reasons that we spoke about earlier. There, there's various pagan and, and, and different type concepts in there, and other people view it as removed enough by now that, you know, atheists, you know, give gifts and different things. But um, there are people who, well, from conscience reasons or aversion of principles, don't observe that. But uh, nevertheless, for our schedule, you're saying that for the next two weeks, we will not be on. And so you'll have some podcasts available. See you in 2019. That's correct. That's a good way to end it. I want to thank everyone again, and uh, we look forward to seeing you in three weeks. Take care, everyone.